0: How are you guys doing to the Family? It's your host, Mark Araki, bringing you another episode of the podcast. This week, I sat down with Mr. Femi Kuti, CEO and co-founder at Reliance Health, a startup focused on using tech to make quality healthcare delightful, accessible, and affordable in emerging markets. Dr. Femi took a very interesting path to entrepreneurship. Yes, he's a doctor. Talk about founder problem fit. So yeah, so Femi was trained as a physician in Nigeria and opted out of practicing medicine to become an investment banker in Europe, and then opted out of that safe career path to dive back into the continent to launch a startup. You'll hear how he started tinkering at the edges of telemedicine with the idea of making healthcare more accessible to more people online. And from those humble beginnings in 2015 to date, putting one foot in front of the other, They have now raised a total of $48 million in funding, operational in five African countries serving 150,000 people. And that is just the short version. The real version is in the podcast. And it is a story of somebody putting one foot in front of the other, pursuing something that they are passionate about, that they believe can be solved and needs to be solved. This is a great one. Enjoy the podcast. Mr. Femi Kuti, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to... this conversation with you how are you doing
1: i'm doing very well mark uh thanks for thanks for having me on it's a a pleasure to connect with you and your listeners as well
0: yeah um this for me is a big deal because you guys represent the future of africa i guess somewhat the present and the future of africa so it's always exciting to be able to have the opportunity to speak with individuals such as yourself who are setting the pace and, and, and breaking new ground And so, as we dive into this over here, the first thing that fascinated me about your background is you took a very interesting route to becoming an entrepreneur doctor to investment banker to entrepreneur, right? Quite unusual, but these things are never a straight line. I guess the first question is which of these was closest to what you wanted to be when you grew up? (laughs) That's it that's an
1: interesting first question i think clearly it shows that i'm a very confused individual at least i wasn't right at the the earliest part of my life though no, I, I i kid i joke which of these is kind of be i think probably entrepreneurship has been closest to what i wanted to do growing up because i remember one of my earliest memories is just being a big fan of like technology and of um like inventing things and making stuff i used to have this book that i would sort of like draw inventions to you know i'm not sure how many of them were feasible but i used to i used to (laughs) i used to just draw stuff in in that book but but the thing about the thing about like careers generally and the thing about like the stuff that we do is everything builds on everything else you know so right definitely my medical background was very useful when I, when I moved to investment banking, or as I like to say, I was seduced by the dark side of finance. (laughs) But, but the, the fact that I sort of understood because my focus was in healthcare investment banking, but the fact Mm -hmm. that I kind of understood what the lingo was and I understood sort of like what the drugs were supposed to do, et cetera, et cetera, it made it sort of easy to, to navigate that space. And I think. A lot of the stuff that I learned while working in investment banking have been super helpful, you know. Now that I'm an entrepreneur, right? You know, you, you learn right. about how com- companies should be structured. You learn about, you know, finance, how to keep good books, all those kind of things. So it it all sort of like it all sort of connects in mm-hmm. in one way or the other. But I think you summarize it perfectly. It's never really a straight line, and it's always in hindsight that one to say that everything connects. But I think what's most important. And this is what I kind of like tell people who ever ask me is, you know, just do what you're connected with at that point in time. And it's perfectly fine if what well, you're connected with changes, it's, it's perfectly okay, you know, um, right. and, and that's really sort of like in the modern day, what building a career is about. It's like accumulating skills, uh, more than, you know, staying in one
0: particular role for, you know, 30 de- three decades or four decades. And so the, the question that I asked you is what's. Box was, you know, uh, uh, studying medicine checking for you, right? Was it like I gotta make my parents happy, or was did you see yourself actually b- becoming a physician? Like, what was that? How did you end up studying medicine? It's a good question. I, you know, man, you ask me great questions.
1: I never get asked these questions on podcasts. It's the African. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. You, you, understand context. You understand context. Um, right. so. I, so the, the history was kind of like, when I was in secondary school, I was definitely, so in Nigeria, you sort of get split between science, arts, and commercial by the time you get to like senior secondary. And like, I, I love the sciences. I've always loved the sciences. So, you know, I was in, in the sciences. Usually when you're in sciences, you're either doing engineering or um, medicine. And I sort of flip flop between engineering and, and medicine. And I think what just happened was, like, I was filling out my university entrance university um, entrance exam forms. And I think at the last minute, I just changed my subject selection to, like, physics, chemistry, and biology from, like, physics, chemistry, and mathematics. I, I, I honestly cannot tell you why I did that. It was just something <laughs> I, I wish I could say you that was, like, some grand plan. It was just something Sorry. that I think that I did at the last minute. Um but I think overall, I've always been interested in like the sciences and technology, in you know engineering-related stuff. I tried to learn how to code at some yeah. point, but I was I was too lazy and
0: undisciplined to continue. <laughs> to, to actually <laughs> take it through, um, I I took a couple of uh, CS classes in university. I was trying to hedge my bets between econ and and information systems. Yeah, and I took a C plus plus class, and man, I didn't have the patience to drill through the lines of code to find yeah. it. where was this semicolon off. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: I, I actually started with visual basic which you know i hope the engineers mm. listening here are not going to insult me it's like that's a good thing. <laughs> but i so i started with visual basic but then i just i think i did it for like three months but i was like no i can't do this anymore But was it so much to sort of like take a box with my parents? Honestly, not really. My dad is a doctor, he's a a gynecologist. But I don't, I think they just, they were generally very open and flexible in terms of like what their kids decided they wanted to do with their lives, you know? I, I mean, within, Within reason, yeah. still like traditional Nigerian <laughs> parents, right? Like, you know, you're not always going to get away if you say you want to do music, right? I mean, now it's changing, but I, I don't. You, think you
0: they... really have got away. You the the Nigerian musician. I forget his name now. Uh, With like started he, he to get whisked or something. <laughs> no, the yeah. the other guy. What's his name? He actually his story is fascinating. Uh, he 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 his parents. And now his parents, I think he's his manager or his dad is his manager or something like that. Oh, he's, really? That'd
1: uh, that me, me go, go Yeah. yeah <laughs> Have you had a story? It's the same, it's, the, it's a consistent story where like the person is like sneaking around behind their parents back to sign a record label to go to the studio. And then right. when they start making a ton of money, the parents are like, oh, wow, okay. You made this a good something. career choice. This is <laughs> Um, I yeah so so long as you make it you can do whatever you want but I mean, think right. to be to be honest my parents were pretty flexible I mean so long as it was something that was actually like a career or like something professional they were fine with it so there wasn't really ever that pressure to be a doctor or to you know do anything else there was a pressure to be a professional to do something professional right. but not much outside that um so but I think it's it's when I got to med school, I had this sort of like idealized view of what medical school, generally what like university was going to be like. You right. know, it was gonna be like, you know, inter, having consistent intellectual conversations with, you know, the <laughs> smartest people ever. What we would sit like around Yes, exactly. (laughs) Sit around lunch, like, and debate the existence of extraterrestrial life, or kind of some stuff like that. But it was just absolutely not. It was just the complete opposite of everything that I had dreamed university was going to be. And I think around that time, I began to find, um, I began to find sort of like excitement or interest in like business um, in finance, in like technology, that kind of stuff. So, you know, to be honest, I was a very bad med student. So I I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed to say, I mean, I, I graduated and I passed my exams, and loved my kids, but I mean, I wasn't the most diligent of medical students, but I was, I was always very interested in more like the business side of healthcare and sort of like the technology side of healthcare
0: as well. So, yeah, there you go. So. You you actually fit very well into this uh, concept that I I I call the founder problem fit. I did I not invent it. I borrowed it from somebody. You know, trained doctor to investment banker, now to an entrepreneur. And you kind of mentioned that how those things stack up. And the question I have for you is, you know, what specific insights eh, and dissatisfaction pushed you over the edge to the entrepreneur side? You know, how did you get there? Because both of these are very conservative, to some you know, to a degree, right, and very secure roles, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Entrepreneur is now the opposite. You know, it's the edge of the cliff. You know, what were the things? What are the insights and the satisfaction that got you over the edge? Yeah. So I think,
1: I think the way I've, I've always kind of lived my life to an extent has been, everything is worth trying at least once. You know, just like you know, give stuff a try, and I. Th- and the thing is, to an extent, the fact that I did have, like, a university degree, or that that I had studied medicine, or that I had spent some time working in finance, kind of gave me the confidence to try stuff, right? And the, and I remember when I was resigning from Goldman Sachs, right? Like, I I, I senting my my. I sent the email to my boss and I was like, you know, I'm leaving. I'm going back to Nigeria. Um, and I wanted to do something in entrepreneurship. Honestly, I'd Goldman back up in, in London or where Yeah, this was, yeah, okay. this was Goldman Sachs's London office. And honestly, the way I'd, I'd already, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a complete maniac, right? So I'd already sort mm. of like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'd already sort of like hedged, hedged my bets. And the way I sort yeah. of looked at it was like, you know, I'll give it a, I'll give it some time. You know, this sounds like mm-hmm. fun. Something that is something that I do want to try out. I'll give it some time. If it doesn't work out, you know, I'll like go to business school or I'll go to, you know, like go for like a second degree and I'll and I'll get a job, you know. And right. I think right. what I sort of and I, and I think what I sort of like learned from that was honestly the the interesting thing about being open to trying new things and being open to like accumulate these experiences is that it actually makes you more desirable to many people who are looking for you know partners or employees or whatever the case is because you end up with these experiences that many people don't so for example like you know i'm i'm way more comfortable hiring like a failed founder, for example, in in like mm-hmm. a specifically more strategic role because that person right. has like understood how to like build a company, even though, I right. mean, depending on how bad the failure was, right? Like if it's like, right. you know, it was too, you know. But but I think what I sort of learned from that experience was just, you know, being confident enough to sort of give things a try, you know, just give it a okay. try. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and I think one thing that I sort of find out is like, many times we many times we step away from like giving stuff a try because we think that the fallout is going to be worse than it actually is I think one of my favorite sayings is that you know it's never as good as it seems, it's never as bad as it sounds, right? So like right. not it, everything is just like it's never extreme Like if you think something is going to be fantastic, you'll find out probably isn't, it's probably a little less than that. And if you think something right. is going to be it's some completely to it. it's always <laughs> something is just like completely horrible, you kind of find out, like I say, it's not ideal, but it's not as bad as you sort of had assumed. You'll survive. It's going to you'll survive. Yeah. Right. And 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 I think just having that mindset that like at least for me, having that mindset that, you know, I could always like get a job, you know, I could always like go back and do something and I wouldn't, I wouldn't starve, you know. Worst case scenario, I'll move, in, I'll move back in with my parents, you know. My mom loves me and my dad loves me, so
0: they'll, they'll be able to feed me. <laughs> Fantastic. So, okay. So what was the specific problem that you are leaving your cush investment banking job, to yeah. go to Nigeria to do, you know, what was the thing you guys and your co-founders, I guess the to the extent maybe you had co-founders at the time, but what was the thing that yeah. you had seen? What, what, what rabbit had you seen go down the hole as a dog? And you're Like, I'm going to chase that. Yeah. What, what, what was it? So, so I think for me, it was
1: like, there was definitely an interest in... I think the main thing that I'd seen was that there hadn't been enough um, infusion of technology into the healthcare system, in the sense that there was so much... So this was like we're looking, we're talking about when uh, 20, I think we're talking about like 2015, 2014 mm-hmm. at this time. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was so much happening in the technology space. And the the founders of Jobberman, um, which was like this massive job board back back at mm-hmm. that time, still probably mm-hmm. one of the biggest countries job boards. We're like we're the, one of one my closest friends, you know, we we went mm-hmm. to we went to school together and the CEO at the time, Digi, was actually we were in med school together and i was like wow Mm -hmm. these guys are doing stuff that's like
0: super exciting Ah, so you got technology
1: right yeah Yeah. exactly like i was like wow digi Okwe, hats off to those guys they were probably one of the pioneers of you know you know technology startups in nigeria at about Mm -hmm. 2013 about that around Mm -hmm. that time and i was like wow these guys are doing such like amazingly cool stuff with technology in you know the job search space. You know, right. around that time, I think Iroko was gaining traction in the movie space and stuff. It's like you know nobody is really using the power of technology in the in the healthcare space, and and that's something right. that can that can massively that can have massive impact. You know, and massively right. change lives and actually save lives. You know, I've always been a healthcare guy, you know, from you know as far back as I can remember. You know, since studying medicine. Stuff Even my investment banking was focused on the healthcare space. And that's always been the area that I've been most excited about. But I was like, you know, there really hasn't been anything where people are using technology to sort of work in this space. And I was like, you know, hey, can we find something to sort of drive that? It was just something like percolating in my head. But the interesting part of the story is that around that time, there was this kind of like grant application um, where people could submit ideas that could potentially sort of like ideas for like innovation in healthcare. And I was thinking of like working on this idea that involved like a, a chat bot to chat with, like, kind of like a chat bot that would, you know, respond to like your common medical questions. It was, I mean, in hindsight, it was ridiculous, ridiculously overambitious for the time. It's like, right. you know, yeah, so ridiculously yeah. overambitious. But, you know, sometimes a certain amount of ignorance is decent. Um, So that's kind of like, so it it was kind of like that culmination of, you know, there's this zeitgeist of, you know, technology being infusing, like, in, you know, Nigeria at the time to solve a bunch of problems, but nobody was looking about anything in the healthcare space. And around that time was like, oh, this is something interesting that I might want to pursue. And so everything just kind of like aligned at that point in time. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, let's give it give it a shot. And that's um, that's why I decided to kind of come back and, and give that a chance.
0: And so at that time, it was just the general space was being underserved or not served at all with technology. You yeah. didn't have a specific entry point or did you start the, you know, the bot thing? Was that what you were coming to do or what was the touch point? It was specifically, I mean, to be fair, I, I
1: don't think I'd done as much of a detailed sort of like market analysis of what the space was at the time, mm-hmm. it just seemed like the most interesting to, thing to do would be, hey, there aren't enough doctors, right? Can we create this platform that makes it easier for people to talk to doctors, you know? It it was just like, a, it's just like a general, obvious, yeah. simple mm-hmm. sort of application of, the, of that idea at the time. And it was like, okay, let's start from there and see where it goes. You know, but it was an interesting enough
0: problem to sort of like where I'd be wanting to spend time on. Makes sense. So in terms of that initial vision and what you know reliance health is today,
1: <laughs> what <are you> it is. <laughs> completely different. Completely different. Um so basically back then when we started, what we were doing was primarily like telemedicine. I think we were one of the earliest telemedicine apps in Nigeria probably even across most of Africa at that time. Um, Mm -hmm. The app was called Kankwe. Kankwe is pidgin English in Nigeria for feeling good or feeling well. And we'd sort of scaled that to Nigeria, we're in Ghana, we were in Tanzania, we're in Rwanda. And we sort of got this partnership with uh, Facebook Free Basics to sort Mm -hmm. of expand that offering to a bunch of other countries. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, Even though that was sort of like the idea, the the underlying vision, you know, at the time had had been the same. That was just like the easiest iteration, you know, just trying to Mm -hmm. find a way to use technology, which was becoming a thing at that point in time, to make people's access to healthcare just easier and more delightful. And just the most, the easiest iteration for us at that time was this telemedicine app, right? Mm-hmm. But I think very quickly, we counter, we began to find out. When I say we, that's my co-founder and I, Ahmed, and, um, and Matthew, okay. we kind of started to find out that, like, there were a lot of gaps in what we were offering. So people would come onto the app or use the web service and chat with the doctor, but the doctor would prescribe a lab test. We didn't have any way to sort of take it off uh. from there or do you it say
0: yeah. it
1: was completely broken like system you know where we were just offering this like tiny piece of the entire ecosystem which made it such an incomplete product that was cool but right. it wasn't really achieving the goal or the vision that we had wanted to sort of achieve at the time so it was kind of like the, this iteration of problem solving was of solving the problem was just like the most obvious and the most simple but it wasn't it wasn't the best
0: it wasn't, right? complete, but it,
1: was, yeah. it wasn't complete so but it gave us a starting point so it was then around that time that we were fortunate enough to get into y combinator so we we got into yc um the accelerator out of silicon valley and, right and what's what's crazy is the fact that yc is like a three-month program right and mm-hmm. we'd spent two and a half of those months on this telemedicine thing for like Mm -hmm. two and a half of the months of months of of yc of the three months of yc on the telemedicine thing and it gets to so yc culminates in like demo day where you sort of present or um (laughs) where you sort of present what you're doing to like a room full of investors and then we're pitching this to like our partner and he's like guys is this is this is this really achieving the vision that, like, you get? And we're like, well, no, but it's sort of, like, on the way to where we want to get to. And it's like, no, (laughs) just, like, no, pause. Okay, if you guys had unlimited resources and you could actually, like, create the thing that you feel provides that, what does that look like? And and we essentially just described to him what Reliance Health is today. And he was like, that's absolutely what you should pitch at Demo Day. And we're like... I'm like, Paul, are you, are you crazy? Like, with, like demo day is one week away. <laughs> and then we're going back with a whole new story. Like, but I mean, we kind of figured out a way. It was really tough. Like, but well, we figured out it was sort of made it work. But it was like the singular best decision that we did. And essentially, this new setup was a player that, on behalf of, um, that, that receives subscriptions from mm-hmm. individuals. Um, on behalf of themselves or their family members, and businesses on behalf of their customers, sorry, on behalf of their employees, and in return, provides them with a complement of healthcare services. Some Mm -hmm. of those services we provide through entities that we own and operate. So remember that telemedicine stuff that we built before, so we brought that in and Essentially, provided people with the telemedicine service um, once they were on our uh, on our platform. It also includes a um, a drug delivery platform. So. Back then, when we couldn't help with the drug delivery aspect, we've infused that as well. So you have the conversation with the doctor, and then you get the medication delivered. We also include have um, clinics which we own and operate as well. Mm. So it's basically the ability to provide full that end and the, the full mm-hmm. stack end-to-end service for like a single subscription fee that you can pay quarterly, monthly, or annually. And in cases where we can't provide those services through entities that we directly own and operate. We also have a par- partnerships with a bunch of other healthcare facilities that will you know, be able to provide that service. So what that means for an end user is you pay us a single fee, um, as I said, quarterly, monthly, annually, depending on what you can afford. And then when you fall ill, you can start the conversation with the doctor on your app, on your phone, or get a phone call. Or you can walk into a clinic, either one of the clinics that we own and operate, or a third-party clinic, and receive
0: care. And all of that is sort of taken care of in that single fee. Fantastic. So what, what base of the market are you serving? What's What level of the what's your target Yes. Market? So it it varies right, so I would say we're solidly middle
1: class like between the lower and the upper middle class. And, And the reason it sort of spreads over that group is because the vast majority of people who pay for themselves are people who are sort of you know have decent jobs it's not terribly expensive. So an average plan is probably anything from about $3 a month. In some cases as high as about a hundred dollars a month for the really high-end plans, Um, Mm -hmm. but most people on average are probably at about, you know, three to $5 a month is what they would, is what they would typically pay. And so this would essentially be working professionals. People would like, you know, just, you know, like a decent, a decent job. Um, the reason it sort of goes could go further down the demographic ladder is because employers also purchase these plans on behalf of the employees so you know it's not strange to have an employer that would also purchase the plans and and extend it to cover like their drivers um, security personnel gardeners all those kind of things so either through the employers or through the individuals we can sort of extend our coverage across upper and middle class um, to upper middle class demographic Um, the you know some people kind of ask like you know are you doing bottom of the pyramid I think the reason we haven't really focused on that is, is because our philosophy is that we can get there but it's not something that we start with. It's something that we right. need to scale, scale to that, to that point. Into, yeah. So it's, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely something that's on our radar. I mean, of course, as a business, we, we are incentivized to be able to scale the business to that market because like, it's, right. it's a huge untapped market, right? But we, we also just want to do it in a way that's sustainable um,
0: and sure. in a way that sort of makes sense for the end user. Completely agree with you. Uh, every single time I talk about one of the ventures that we're doing that has relates to human you know, consumer or <laughs> if it's a, if it's education, whatever it is, people yep. always go for that. Like, how are you serving the bottom of the firm? It's like, look, if we start there, we'll not we'll die, right? So yep. let's first of all it's try really to hard somewhere where we can commercialize the business, yeah, streamline it, establish it, and then we can scale it to that. Um, yep. So completely agree with you on that one. Yeah. So you talked about your co-founders. So yep. to me, I'm 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 trying to visualize this journey in my mind, right? You send your resignation letter to your boss and Goldman Sachs. And you end up in Nigeria. Did you have people that you were gonna co-found with? Did you find them there? How did you how did this team come together? You're not you, you and, Matthew and, and yeah. It it's just
1: it's just it's just a random. So Okpoy, who's my first co-founder, I've known him for I think probably like 15 years plus now, right? So we actually interned together at Goldman's, then he came back to Nigeria a lot earlier than I did to join a mm-hmm. private equity firm locally. So He likes to joke that he was actually the first investor in Reliance Health. So so I basically came back and I was like, hey, dude, you know, I I just want to work on this thing. I think it's really interesting, you know, just... I'm raising some money, blah blah, blah. you know, I have a bit of money of myself, but you know if you're interested, you can kind of like write me a check. Because like, yeah, okay,' I'll, I'll write you a check. I think he got his like his first yeah, like, his bonus check or something from his employer, and just like writes me the check. I'm not gonna tell you how much oh, it, wow it, because it was so it was actually a really measly about, you know, so
0: are <laughs> <laughs> you judge?
1: It wasn't bad, but you know, he likes to joke that, you know, he's, he's probably, he, he was a, he was a pre-scient angel investor, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's the joke that he likes to make. Um, so yeah, he did. And initially, he was just kind of like, just um, bouncing ideas off him of like, hey, you know, this is what's happening. This is what I'm doing. And then after a while, the whole thing began to kind of scale. And it was beginning to get, it was becoming quite a lot. And I was like, oh, dude, I, I think I need to hire someone to sort of work with me on this thing. I was like, no, like, as you know, this sounds interesting. I'm I'm interested in kind of like working on this with you. And, um, you know, I'll leave, you know, the P friend that is I'm working that at job? Like, wow. yeah yeah, okay. yeah, like, let's let's give this a gig. Worst case scenario, you know, again, just that same point that I make is like, sometimes people underestimate how much of a safety net that you actually have, especially if mm. you've worked before or you've had, right. you like, some you know, money, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, i have saved some money. Worst case scenario, if this all goes belly up, I can always like dust off my CV and just all like, just like apply to business school or something. So that was always right. in the back. And so he joins up and they were working on this very quickly. So initially we, we, we outsourced the development to and outsourcing, just like a freelance engineer. But mm-hmm. it, it was clear that we kind of needed our own in-house engineer. And then right. that's where Matthew comes into the picture. So Matthew was um kind of like the cheapest engineer that we could hire at that point in time because, <laughs> because, because he was um, I think he was in like his penultimate year or like his final year of university. So, you know, didn't didn't need too much money to survive. So we were able to sort of like deceive him into coming to work for this (laughs) company, air quotes, um, and pay him, you know, the pittance that we could afford back then. Um, And so that's how kind of like Matthew could just kind of join us, like our earliest engineer, and he's he's been he's been with the company ever since.
0: So how did you find Matthew? Because technically he wasn't in your. So random. It's a random. Yeah, it's a good question. Like, how did we find? You know, yeah,
1: I think so. So the great thing about, you know, my university, shout out Obafemi University, Africa's number one university. You know, they're only, as we say, they are only two Are you you biased? Are you
0: you biased? We have some semblance of truth
1: here. (laughs) I'm I'm not biased at all, Mark. This is like, this, this is, I have objective data to back this up. So the thing about my uni is that like, it's very... It's it's just it just has this like strong entrepreneurial energy, where mm-hmm. students are in school but they're always like doing something else. What city is it based on? It's in Ife, Ile Ife in Nigeria. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. it's like students are either like starting a business or they are learning a new skill or they are learning how to code. There's always like extracurricular stuff happening, and it's kind of like in the DNA of the school. Got in, it. in, informally, it's not formal, but I can respect kind of like the yeah. things that students. It's, do. Exactly. it's 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 exactly it's just it's energy. just part of yeah exactly it's just part of the energy there. And mm-hmm. I remember we were saying, you know, we're looking for like and I think I just hit up one of my friends was like, "Hey, you know, one thing that the computer science computer engineering department was famous for was just like the people there just always it's just like this just kind of like just they they were always doing interesting stuff, right? They were always like coding or practicing different things and stuff like that. So even though the most up-to-date languages were not a part of the official curriculum, the just that air of trying stuff out ended up creating, you know, a bunch of like students who were in computer science, computer engineering that were learning to code as far back as like 2013, 2014. Right. Like mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I, I just hit up a friend. And I was like, hey, I'm looking for somebody who can code. We're trying to build an app. Let me know if you right. know anyone. And then he's just like, "Yeah, I know this guy um, called Matthew. Blah blah blah. I just ask around. So I know this guy called Matthew. I'll just give you his number."
0: And So it was just kind of like a random, you know, connection, wow. basically. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. So now you guys, what's what where we are? You guys are right now. You just raised 40 million dollars. Uh, you know, from a stellar cast of investors. And, yeah. you know, I would think, okay. 2015 to now. If you could describe the different phases of your startup journey. So first it's canpe as you're describing it. You have this, you know, uh, platform where, you know, doctors are interacting with, with patients. And then the next phase and the next phase and, and to now. So if you could break it down for us so that we can actually work with you on that journey uh until where you are right now, it would, would be super helpful.
1: Sure. Um so definitely the first phase was. I think the most experimental phase, which is the Kangpei phase basically. So it's like we want to do something in this space. This is like the most obvious, the most interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. And that's definitely where we first started. You know, that so the Kangpei phase was definitely
0: like the first phase of and how long how long did that last? I think took it took to, you to Yeah, that, that then, lasted.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, that lasted a solid like two years. I would say it lasted like okay. two years thereabouts yeah solid like two years is what where, where, when we were sort of in that phase but it, it in in that phase we'd sort of you know built a small team so we'd learned about how to build a team and you know some pieces of like company building phase right. two was kind of like the what i would say the pivot phase where we sort of pivoted into like what we're doing right now and i think the main The main challenge of that phase was just like figuring out the right people to sort of put in place to be able to help Mm -hmm. us get to that point. Because to be fair, my co-founder and I just didn't, we didn't have any experience when it came to sort of like the nuts and bolts of like signing up third-party providers, you know, Mm -hmm. signing up companies to sort of like trust us with purchasing the plans and all of those things. Um, So that would be sort of phase two. Phase three would be the phase where sort of what I would call kind of like a stabilization early growth phase so that's basically look we have the product ready we have the infrastructure it's time for us to like you know start getting more customers acquiring and really growing and I think that's sort of like the phase that we we are getting into the twilight of and now we're sort of in phase four which is the expansion phase which is like we have this great infrastructure that we built and you know from our conversations this infrastructure solves problems not just in nigeria but in a bunch of other countries as well so it's time for us to start seeing how we can take that infrastructure and take it elsewhere um, so for example we're going to go live in our first international country in the next say two months that's egypt and we're looking at a bunch of other countries for us to go live in over the next um, over the next
0: year and a half fantastic so Phase two was the pivot phase. You described it as a pivot mm-hmm. phase. Mm-hmm. How, so, so how did you fund zero to one? So zero to one, I call it this, you know, phase one, right? Mm-hmm. How did you fund those two years? It's basically a bunch of people who had a lot of money that they they did not have need for,
1: basically, and they were <laughs> and they were and they were willing to, willing to throw it away on an idea that that barely made sense. um no, i I, I joke. It, it was It was just like a fantastic cast of very early stage investors, primarily two um, investors. Um, so one was like DG Adewomi, who was um he used to be CEO of Jobberman. So you know, his okay. together I was talking about was my good friend right. from med school, right. Um, and then the second person was this other person from med school who had also moved into finance. So these were our two earliest seed stage investors. Deji is someone I've always known for like a really long time. He's like, he's massively inspiring as a founder Mm -hmm. because he's one of those, no matter how crazy you think you are, Deji is crazier in terms of like, in terms of like, you know, you're
0: absolutely- In terms
1: of like the, just the wildness and the exuberance of like the ideas that he has. Like mm-hmm. he's just a fantastic person to just be around and absorb that energy. Our second seed investor was a guy called um, you know, I, I probably won't share his name. He might not, he might not want me to. Um <laughs> but okay. basically I knew him in, in med school and it was just very, very serendipitous how we connected. Mm-hmm. So we known each other in med school. We'd been a member of like the same kind of club. Um, Mm -hmm. so always had interest in like computers and like technology and stuff like that. And around the time we were raising our first seed round, um, we're very quickly running out of money. I think I'd burned through my entire savings. Oppo had burned through his savings. Um, I was expecting some money to come through, but there was going to be like a big, a bit of a gap. So we needed to stop gap in between. And so I talked to one of my friends who was an investment bank and I was like, hey, dude, like, do you know any investors? I was like, yeah, you know, talk to this person. He just recently told me that he's looking for some companies to invest in. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I wonder if he's going to remember me because it's been a really long time since we spoke. And I pick up Mm -hmm. the phone and I call him and he's like, wait, explain to me what you say you're doing. And I explained to him what Kangbei was about back then. And it was like, can you get on a plane to Abuja by like, Friday and this was on Tuesday He's mm. like I will pay for your flight I will pay for your hotel room just get here and then it's like well, okay fine I mean it's a free <laughs> trip at hotel accommodation who's going to say no to that if you're paying no worries and Then we fly and we get there and then it turns out that essentially the idea that we were working on was his MBA thesis so it was wow. like yeah it was It was completely insane it was his MBA thesis it was like like I know, guys, I totally get what you're doing. I really came to them very excited about this. And he wrote us like a very, very sizable check, you know at that time, mm-hmm. which essentially kept the business going for you know a significant amount of time before we got into y c.
0: Yeah, so that's essentially for those two. that's how we got the first uh, our first checks. fantastic. y c. How did that work out for you guys? Were you did it work out? yeah it worked out really well you know it was i think of course that's when we sort of figured out that
1: like we sort of we needed to kind of like rethink the business um and i think specifically for us it was just just being in the same room with people who had built global companies there's just something about the way it changes your outlook and allowed us to yeah allowed us to start thinking bigger and i mean there's nothing as great as you know for lack of a better word you know you know, thank God for like the pandemic, but, you know, back then there's nothing as, there wasn't any ecosystem as generous with funding as as Silicon Valley, right? Like at least being in that place, you know, now it's sort of like expanding because, you know, because of remote work and people don't need to actually be on the ground, but just having that access as well was, you know, phenomenally useful for, for, for the business.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. Sounds good. So now you are going into phase four growth expansion. Why Egypt as your first market? Why did you pick Egypt as your first market? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. I think the way we sort of,
1: so our vision as a company is to use technology to make quality healthcare, um, delightful, affordable and accessible in emerging markets. So we think about our potential market opportunity as not just Nigeria, not just West Africa, not just Africa, but across all emerging markets. And I think one thing that drives our decision-making is, are there other markets where the technology that we've built, you know, solves similar problems that we've solved in Nigeria? And I think where we just started to do sort of like a market survey and stuff, you know, it's, it's very interesting how different the the healthcare ecosystems are across countries but i think mm-hmm. you know egypt for us was very interesting because you know it's it's an interesting it's a great economy it's very similar on the healthcare side in terms of the challenges to what we we sort of solved in nigeria and i think we wanted to sort of try something that was far enough removed for it to be a different space because you know expanding to something like Ghana or Senegal it's it's pretty it's kind of obvious or maybe even Kenya too it's pretty obvious but like that was a bit further removed but not too removed as to be crazy you know so that's kind of like why we sort of thought about you know going to Egypt because kind of ticked a bunch of uh, a bunch of boxes for us regarding so like how we thought about expansion and also how we sort of thought about ourselves as more than just an African company, but more like an emerging markets for this company.
0: Yeah, makes total sense. Plus, they have a, probably this pretty big population out there and, and pretty vibrant economy. So makes total yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, in, so right now, where are you guys with your employee headcount? What's the team size? You know, and what what is your other key KPI? I guess number of subscribers. Is that is that how you guys look at your business?
1: Yeah. So the kind of like two big numbers that we look at, which is, well, three actually, three core numbers that we look at. One is our um, customer, like the number of customers that we have. The second is Mm -hmm. the satisfaction of those customers. So it's something that we actually measure as like core as a core metric. And then the third one is um, sort of like what we call that our medical claims. So basically Mm -hmm. how much of what we receive from our customers do we actually spend, uh, spend on Um, taking on on giving them care the reason why for us that's a key metric is because the especially in the light of the customer satisfaction metric the more we can provide satisfactory care to our customers at a cheaper price point the more we can make the offerings cheaper and then you know capture more you know as i said can't get that scale that allows us to really capture more of the market and so that's why those are sort of like the other metrics that we that we that we look at
0: what about growth numbers right how obviously right yeah uh, how how Could how, you share a bit of that like how you guys are? what's, what's your growth look like and what drives that yeah. do you have do you have a direct sales do you have online conversions how does that work yeah so basically in terms of our,
1: our of our sales or like our top line it's we have sort of two major customer lines the first one is on the b2p side where cost companies are purchasing on behalf of their employees and then the other side is where individuals are purchasing for themselves or their customer or their sorry or their um or their family members or or Mm -hmm. parents or whatever and so those are kind of like our two big customer segments um on the growth side it's been it's been quite it's been it's been decent I think over the last I think since we started this like iteration which would be about like 2018 we've been about tripling use accounts uh, and revenue pretty much every, every year. Um, mm-hmm. We're hoping to do that again this year. So it's, it's been pretty, it's been pretty fast growth.
0: That's, that's fantastic. So organizationally, right? Like what, yeah. what makes your organization tick culturally speaking? What kind of organization have you guys built or aspiring to build from a cultural mm-hmm. perspective? And mm-hmm. what makes you guys tick? Why do your people get up in the morning? What's the, what's the driver? What's the dream? What's the what problem are you guys solving? And how, as an organization, cultural, are you architect to solve for that?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. The way we sort of look at things is the problem, the core problem that we want to solve is pretty straightforward, right? How do we get quality healthcare, or how do we use technology to get quality healthcare into the hands of people in a way that's delightful, affordable, accessible? This is, it's pretty straightforward. I see. Mm-hmm the actual nuts and bolts of making that happen is, is terribly hard. It's ridiculously difficult. It's Ridiculously (laughs) difficult. And, 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 you know, and I think that vision sort of belies the complexity of how to sort of make that happen, especially when you look at the different like systems that already exist. I think the advantage that we have operating in the markets that we operate is that vision is even particularly more difficult in a place like say the us or the uk where you already have these very strong established established systems right like Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. those systems might be faulty and broken but because they're so strongly established it's difficult to to kind of you know fix them undercut them yeah exactly but i think we operate in markets where there are some there are some pieces that are established but it's not to the point
0: that they're so entrenched that, there they so that. In anyway, they're so few and far between, anyway. Exactly, really touching the this, this, the surface of the market. Exactly, exactly. But I think what
1: that creates, you know, for us as a culture is just a culture is like really strong problem solving, where the way we the way we sort of look at what we do is we don't come around to do. same mundane thing every single day right usually what we advocate is that if any of those things exist we want to just automate it yeah so the goal is like if if things are pretty mundane and like regular we just try to automate that as much as possible and try to reserve the more high level really serious problem solving for people to attack and address so what you find is that most times what people are working on is like it's very first principles, problem solving, right? Like, okay, we need to kind of move this thing from here to here. What are the drivers? What can we build to make that happen? Mm-hmm. What's, what in the process or the system can we improve to sort of make that happen? And right. then the offshoot of that is that like, it means that we've built an organization where, as we like to say, it's an organization of adults. So what that means mm-hmm. is like, you know, nobody's going to like micromanage you. The expectation is kind of like, you know what the goal is, you know what the expectation is, and then we leave you to sort of like figure out, you know, a solution to, get to the it done. problem, how to get it done. Mm-hmm. That being said, you're not just like left on your own. If you do kind of, if you do feel like you're stuck or you do feel like, you know, you you need support or you need additional resources like that exists to like help you out in, in achieving that. And then because we have this culture of like no microman we don't really micromanage people. It, it falls on both sides, right? right? In some cases, it works for some people where you know I'm happy to just receive guidance around what the goal is and I can chart the direction to get there. For some people, it doesn't work, and right. you know it, it might not be a good fit, which is almost like any other workplace. But for those people who it does create a good fit for, You know, many people kind of enjoy that intellectual challenge. They enjoy the fact that, like, you know, nobody's going to ask you if you haven't, you know, why aren't you coming, showing up at the office at, like, 8 a.m. like everybody else? You know, or, you know, why why are you leaving your desk at, um, you know, 2 p.m. or something? To be honest with you, we don't even mandate that people come into the office. We run a primarily remote organization. People just, like, work from wherever they want to. But all of that sort of stems from the fact that we understand that the work that we're doing is is more high level problem solving, and that needs people who can sort of work independently and who enjoy, you know, problem solving and enjoy doing that without being micromanaged.
0: Love it makes total sense. So as we wind down here, I want to kind of go through some some questions that I want to make sure I touch on, Um, Mm -hmm. and then we can just kind of go through it in rapid fast uh, fashion here. So. First one, how have you changed since 2015 as an entrepreneur, as a leader? Wow, that's an entire new podcast, man. <laughs> yeah. give, uh, just give us a I used yeah. I used to catch yeah. people, now I don't. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. Wow, that's an that's an entire whole new podcast. Um, I think it's two, a few things. One is One is, I think I've gotten a lot better at being clearer with expectations and just appreciating how important it is is in being super clear about what you're expecting from people right mm-hmm. that's one and and it saves your time it saves their time you know and then that's key and a lot of pain that's one mm-hmm. the second thing is i've gotten better at hiring right mm-hmm. so just really identifying those because because I, I was studying some of like the hiring process is like divination divination right like you know there's like <laughs> We call them, we call like medicine men, right? Like you're looking right. at water, <laughs> of a, design, what the to to divine, what what's really behind the reading the teles. Yeah, <laughs> reading the teams exactly. Um, so I think I've gotten, you know, definitely not at the level of you know a master diviner, but like you know, I think I've gotten a lot better at like identifying those skill sets that make the right people that need to work with with the organization or work with you know.
0: Have, have you come across this book called The Who? I think no, I have not. Process, I'll send you that book. You should definitely yeah, look at it. Thank you. Thank you. That would be and useful reading those kind of books. So I've so gotten a lot better at that at hiring. I think pro- hiring is a process. Go ahead. Oh, cool.
1: And I think the last piece is I've also gotten a lot better at firing as well, which which people don't <laughs> always talk about. But it's it's actually a key it's actually a key very part problem. of like building, yeah, of building an organization. And and it's not about being like a, a mean person or about being tough or anything. It's about, you know. Just calling a having, estate. yeah, yeah, just, just having an adult conversation about the actual situation of things, and just being clear that you know, right. This is not. Unfortunately, out. this is working on. You know, we should plan next steps.
0: Yeah, right, right, fantastic. Uh, those are such those yeah, Those are just basically. If you get good at that, yeah. You know, we we we, we have this thing where we where we host um, folks who build companies, investors, uh, for our organization, a part of our L and D program. Mm-hmm. And I remember very clearly uh, one big investor was talking about that the difference between an s- over-successful company, all things remaining equal, and the mm-hmm. one that just doesn't make it is success in hiring. So if you can yeah. hit 80% good hiring, ability, yeah. Yeah. you're on you're, your you're way to becoming successful. All things yeah, equal. 100%. And if you do 40% bad, bad, bad hiring, it doesn't even matter all the underlying conditions, yeah. you're pretty much yeah. going to fail. So, so 100%. 100%. Yeah, it's taken me it's taken me like five years to figure that out, but like it's 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 very, very true. Very true. Very true. Couldn't agree more. All right, so rapid fire questions here, right? Um cool. what's the what's the first thing you think about when you when you hear the word entrepreneurship in Africa?
1: Opportunity.
0: That's what I think about. Opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. Right. F- Founders and mistakes. What comes to mind you your founders'
1: mistakes? Growth, right? Because like that's really the only way you can grow as a founder is by making mistakes. It's, you know, if you're a founder that's like you're not making any mistakes, you're, you're probably just like, like lying to yourself, or okay. two, you're just you're not you, you're so lucky that you're doing yourself a disservice, or, not. Like, <laughs> or, or you're just about to make a big one. <laughs> yeah, so or, yeah, or you're not, or you're not pushing yourself to the edge enough to get to that thing that's just going to like
0: pop, right? Cause like, exactly. you can't do that by taking- you in so your comfort steps. zone. Exactly, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, final one here. What's your vision 2030 for Reliance Health and for, ecosystem, for the ecosystem at large, right? Ah, that's an interesting question. I think, honestly, I was, I was telling someone this, and I was like, if any
1: found, found, founder comes, tells you that like, hey, I have a 10-year plan for my business, they're just, they're, they're either lying, or they have absolutely no clue how, you know, <laughs> how building a startup really works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's, you know, I can't remember because I think they said it was Muhammad Ali that said it or something. It's like, oh, you always have a plan until you get like Tyson in the- was <laughs> it mike Tyson? Yeah. You, I know it was a boxer, you always <laughs> have a plan until you get punched in the face.
0: Yeah, but until uh, you get punched
1: in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like as a startup, you get punched in the face like every week. You know, in the early stages, like every hour. So, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so but I mean, but I mean <laughs> ideal outcome 2030, this is like eight years from now. I think our dream is to build a global company from Africa that's taking technology that's built within the continent, but using it to solve problems across the world. And and I think for me that's kind of like my personal dream, you know, sort of like flipping around the narrative of You've had situations, we have the, the typical story is, you know, this great technology is built elsewhere, but then it's not used and then spread here. Then it's brought here. But I think, but I think we're getting to that point in time where like stuff so much is aligning in terms of like talent, access to information, access to capital that right. we can begin to
0: build solutions
1: here that apply in a bunch of other emerging markets.
0: I love it. I love it. Listen, Sandy, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. And yeah, I just, it's been fun. Every single time I speak with somebody like you just lights me up. So thanks for taking the time to be here. Today. Thank you very much, Mark. This was so much fun. I, I really enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Fantastic.